Hey everybody, welcome to this special emergency edition of Warm Regards. We're not planning on doing these very often, but I think the ongoing flooding in Louisiana, which the Red Cross is now saying is likely America's worst disaster since Hurricane Sandy, which, wow, um, I think that warrants it this time. Joining me as always is Andy Revkin of the New York Times and Jacqueline Gill, a paleoecologist at the University of Maine. Okay, so here's what's going on. Um, last week, the National Hurricane Center began tracking a low uh, pressure system off the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it was moving very slowly, and um, as a result of that, they predicted about a foot or two of rain over the Gulf Coast somewhere um, in the following week or so. Um, obviously, what happened was a lot worse than that, but it's sort of difficult to make um, seven-day projections that are perfectly accurate. <laughs> uh, that storm creeped westward um, for a little bit further west than than what they thought um, tapped into a moisture source that was among the most saturated that has ever been measured in the gulf coast um, according to national weather service weather balloon data uh, water temperatures in the gulf of mexico were about 90 degrees which is you know two three degrees above normal um, and it just sort of sat there and spun over Louisiana for about three days. Um, the center wasn't over the center wasn't over water, um, and it was sort of attached to this frontal system. So, the National Hurricane Center decided not to give it an official name. Although the local National Weather Service office was referring to it as a tropical storm-like uh, sort of entity. Um, and these are all, you know, for multiple reasons in technic weather technicalities. Or it, it's it's sort of weird when these sort of things happen. Um, we're not really sure what to call these kind of storms. Anyway, the result is that the, this this flooding event has not really received as much coverage as at least <laughs> at least I think it should. Um, even though you know the 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 people in New Orleans at the at the National Weather Service office were pretty much you know f full guns blazing and saying this is going to be really really bad. I don't know what have you guys heard about it? Did, did it sort of pop up? It ha happened over the weekend to most most of it. So and there was the Olympics, which yeah. of course hey, and there's you know, Trump. cool records, 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 Olympic records, yeah. not storm records. Uh, people are funny, you know. Yeah. So I was in Florida for the Ecological Society of America meeting in Fort Lauderdale. And in the early part of the week, when they were starting to kind of project where the storm was going, there were discussions about having, I mean, there was a lot of rain um, in Florida while I was there anyway, but there were discussions on the news about it potentially dumping three months worth of rain in Florida in just a couple of days. Um, obviously, it went in a sort of different on a different track, but I was kind of following it a little more than usual. But, you know, even so, it was, um, you know, just sort of catching bits and pieces of it here and there on, on you know, CNN screens and hotels. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I feel like the news always likes to show dramatic flooding uh, imagery and people being rescued and, you um, and but I just wasn't seeing as much of that as I was expecting, considering, you know, when it would occasionally pop up, I was like, wow, this is more serious than I realized, considering I'm around TV screens with a constant stream of CNN and I'm not really seeing a lot of it on the news. Yeah. And so all those things happened. You know, we had high water rescues. We had flooding up to the rooftops. We had loving overtopping. We had in one um, parish, which is what Louisiana calls counties, um, about 75 percent of homes were considered a total loss. 
Um, a thousand people were stranded overnight. I think it was Friday night um, on the interstate. And, you know, it, uh, you know, more than 100,000 people lost their home. And, um, it, it, you know, this is not at all like Katrina or Sandy or 100 year scale sort of thing. But it's the worst flood in history in this part of Louisiana. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I, like, you know, and I, I, I sent out a, a tweet earlier today. This like if this is if this was terrorism and I know it's not at all comparable, it, it would be wall to wall coverage. Um, th- this is something that that is going to be a multi-billion dollar disaster. Yeah, but it gets to something you also wrote and tweeted about over the weekend, which is um, we've had a spate of recent incidents. I don't know whether it's gotten to the point where they're kind of like that, um, uh, you know, everyone fuzzes out when you have enough extreme rainfalls that it's no longer epic news. Ellicott City, it was uh, West Virginia, uh, you know, that's still an emergency. West, West Virginia was an epic disaster, but... Uh, there in the hinterlands. And of course, you know, when you even think back to um, Katrina, which of course killed more than a thousand people, and uh, it, it didn't affect the national economy. It didn't actually, it kind of faded. Even that faded in, in a weird way. And when you think about American history, if that had, we had been a smaller country, or like think about the Netherlands when they had their flood in the 1950s, it was epic. It changed in the, their policies completely toward how to build for floods. And here it was um, poor people in a southern city that's kind of off the radar. And, and so here you have even sort of even a mushier kind of disaster in, in a swampy state, you know. And I think for a lot of people, that with the distractions we all had with uh, different things, it adds up to. Uh, yeah. I mean, are we at the point when people are saying, oh, it's Louisiana, you know, it's flooding is expected down there. Right. Um, well, and also, you know, it's it's poor people and it's poor black people. Right. And so I think that there's a certain amount of um, I don't think it's a coincidence that certain that when events affect certain, you know, socioeconomic groups more than others, the new, you know, the news is very particular about, um, you know, where it puts its its effort you know, talking about the news like it's a, a thing. But, you know, the people behind the news who make the decision about what to cover um, are, are definitely selective, right? I mean, if you, if you, I always hate getting, getting into sort of, um, you know, like the Olympics of who has it worse, right? You know, is, you know, but if you think about a few people losing their homes in a wealthy area affected by forest fires versus, you know, 100,000 people who just lost everything. I mean, the, we're not getting the same kinds of coverage. And I think it's really important to, to, to really probe into why that might be. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. I, I mean, f- flooding and heat are the deadliest types of weather disasters in the U.S. on average in a given year, but they're not as sexy as a forest fire or tornado or hurricane or or or, um, or something like that. And Marshall Shepard wrote in a, in a post today for Forbes, um, when was the last time you saw uh, a TV station break into programming for a heat advisor or a flood watch? Wow. Like it just yeah, doesn't happen. Point. Right. Because, I mean, if you think about the people who are least resilient in those kinds of cases, right, they're, you know, maybe the elderly, they're the poor, they're people in disenfranchised, you know, groups or, or um, uh, you know, just they're, they're, like you said, you know, it's not it's not the, the glossy beachfront houses, um, you know, or the... Um, sort of poster child disaster imagery that we, you know, we expect to see to, to, to get us to be glued to the television. Yeah. A long, long time ago, I, I, I wrote something um, where I said, 
one of the paradoxes with these, especially with the climate change, you know, uh, there's also there's extreme weather and all that other stuff that happens too, of course. But climate change is this, I said, you'll never see a headline in the New York Times or on CBS Evening News that says global warming happened today. Seas rose, crops withered, you know, people fled. It's all distributed over time and in statistical space in ways that make it the antithesis of of the news process, and it's it's a it's a real issue. And I've never quite figured out um, a way to deal with these long time scale things that have these sort of rare dramatic moments, and then get back into being a long time scale thing. So one of the really frustrating things for me was what did dominate the news was a total lie, right? Trump. Uh, saying that Obama f- founded ISIS, right? And so, you know, all this all this time is spent, this sort of bandwidth, you know, with people's limited attention spans. And, and you know, the every time I walked by a television screen with a headline, you know, going across the bottom, it was about Trump and ISIS. So it was about, about something that wasn't even true. I mean, it's true that he said it, but what he said it was a lie. And that, you know, that gets our attention, that gets, you know, the media efforts and the energy. And, and meanwhile, you know, what does it mean that hundreds of thousands of people are affected by an extreme weather event, you know, that could be, uh, you know, is it, is, does this just show that we're sort of getting used to this? I mean, is this, you know, or, you know, if, as Andy says, you know, climate change never shows up as, you know, a single event on one day. And I know there are problems with attributing any individual event to climate change. But as these kinds of events become more frequent, are we already kind of overwhelmed? Or are we just accepting this as the new normal when it comes to a warming world? Yeah, so what do we think about climate change for this specific event? Um, So between Thursday and Saturday, like you were saying, Jacqueline, it basically rained in, you know, a bulk of what would normally fall during the entire hurricane season in parts of Louisiana. Um, A few river gauges near Baton Rouge um, crested at about six feet above the previous record. Uh, And these are gauges that have been there for a hundred years. It's just, you know, when you see uh, records being broken by such large margins, um, that's really kind of the first thing that comes to my mind as a connection is that we're shifting the background odds for these sorts of uh, events to happen. We're shifting the atmosphere, making it more likely for um, the sort of record uh, record capacity of water vapor in the atmosphere to concentrate over a specific area and, you know, create what we've seen this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tricky, you know, from from your perspective as as people covering these events, um, you know, from my perspective as a scientist who, you know, teaches you know students about how the Earth system works, or, or you know, maybe talks to people in the media or the public, you know, there's this there's always the question of is you know did climate change cause you know, can we blame this this rainfall event on climate change? Can we blame this hurricane on climate change? Um, but you know, as you say, Eric, the just a warmer atmosphere holds more water. And so just from a very, you know, from basic physics, warming the earth is going to cause larger or more, more extreme rainfall events. And, um, you know, that kind of clear cut link between those two things, just, just from a bit, you know, basic physics, I think means that even, even if we can't say any one particular storm is, you know, definitely to blame or climate change is definitely to blame for that. I, it, it's it's really undeniable that we 
when we warm the world, we should see in many places more extreme uh, precipitation events. And so being able to to attribute, I mean, I don't know how you guys talk about this stuff, you know, with. <laughs> yeah, well, I just I, 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 I'm trying honestly to get past the no one single event can be, you know, blamed on climate change and more sort of focus on um, these, you know, weather everywhere on every day in every place is is happening in a different context than it did, you know, 30 years ago. And we have a different atmosphere now. And that and um, to, to ask if this weather event w- was linked to climate change is sort of like, you know, asking, you know, if you're, <laughs> I, I don't know, I, my, my wife always um, makes fun of me for having really, really bad analogies. Um, but I was just thinking, it's like, this is like, it's like going to a grocery store or something and saying like, oh, wow, I didn't expect to see food in the grocery store. It's like, it, it's just like, we're, we expect to have different type of weather with a different atmosphere. And I think that, especially on extreme rainfall and um, extreme temperature records, these are some of the clearest um, implications of increasing carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you know, and this has been going back for decades that that these sort of impacts have been predicted. Temperature, for sure. Um, Although I just was reviewing that National Academy of Sciences report that they had kind of a range of which things are most confidently understood. And and extreme rainfall actually is still way more in the mushy middle. And then uh, the other thing that scientists who I've just been talking to the last few days, um, there are these gaps in data. Like um, I, I said, so what do we have water vapor data over time for these areas so that you could see if um, this idea, I mean, there's a background understanding that X percent more water vapor in the air per degree, but in areas yeah. where you have convective storms, no one can, there's no data to kind of examine to see whether that pattern holds regionally. And that's really, you know, if the vapor's there, it should be the rain that comes down. And yeah, well, we have weather or we have weather balloon data going back since the 1950s for most of these mm-hmm. places, at least in the U.S. So, But that's a very short span. Well, keep compa- in mind, th- yeah. like even Marshall Shepard, who we just talked about, um, in his coverage of what's happened in Louisiana, he also talks about all the changes in landscapes that have happened in the last hundred years. Yeah, but I'm years. just talking about rain here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about, oh, you mean rainfall, yes. like amounts of rain, as opposed yeah. to flooding. Yep, yeah. it's a totally yeah. different thing, which is totally. what, what I want to get into the next... Very important. Um, the, yeah, the next segment is that I've I've been, a, you know, on the in the front of my mind being extremely careful about this throughout this whole... Uh, Louisiana flood and pretty much, you know, yeah, for every, every weather event like this is, is, is saying clearly that these are um, exceedance probabilities for rain and not for flooding because it's super, super, super messy to talk about flooding because there's changing in, you know, parking lots and diversions and um, people's behavior and how many people are, you know, measuring, measuring stream flow is much more difficult than measuring rainfall. And we cut the budgets for those programs too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So actually, I went back for Pacific Standard on Friday. I went back through the National Weather Service's um, what they call an annual exceedance probability analysis uh, for for heavy rain events over the last year or so. And this is the eighth 
at least the eighth 500-year rainstorm across the country just since last May. Oh, um, so and just for, for those of you who don't know, something like a 100-year flood or a 500-year rainstorm, the idea is that um, the, the return interval or the amount of time it would be between those kinds of events would be, you know, for, for X a number t- of for years. For a particular so, place. Right. And then every time you have one, that redefi- then redefines the... The, the return interval, right? So uh, if you have a 100-year flood and then two years later you have another 100-year flood, suddenly it's not a 100-year flood anymore. Yeah, and they're, I, I think they're constantly updating the probabilities. Um, you know, these are, this, is, this is a statistical uh, tool based on, on historical data. So, you know, therein lies the problem when you have a changing climate is that um, it's really difficult to say what a 500-year rainstorm is, number one, when you don't have 500 years of data, but number two, when you have a changing baseline. Um, it's it's really difficult to say um, how often we should be having a 500-year rainstorm or what that even means. Um, right. So I wonder, I wonder if that, semantically speaking, as you get more extreme events through time, um, you stop calling them, you know, 500-year events or 1,000-year, you know, floods or whatever. Um, you know, do does that communicate as a thousand year flood becomes a 20 year flood? It sounds less terrible, right? It sounds like, oh, it's just a 20 year flood. It's not a thousand year flood. Although it definitely communicates to the insurance industry. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, right. the people mm-hmm. for, who write the checks for repetitive loss. Yeah, that was another thing is that um, flood, um, flood insurance policy or flood insurance law is based on the hundred year floodplain in a lot of places. And um, I was I was reading the local coverage from from Baton Rouge saying um, that one out of it, only one out of every eight um, flood victims from this ongoing storm had flood insurance, and uh, that's because a lot of them were outside the floodplain and they weren't required to buy it. It's super important that we get this right and that we know um, we know what to expect. And I don't really know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. The Along those lines, it also made me wonder, um, does the fact that the storm wasn't named, um, did that have a negative impact on whether people took it seriously? I mean, we talked about the reporting, but I wonder if, um, you know, folks, just because it was a rainstorm and not, say, tropical storm, you know, I don't know, Trump. <laughs> like I think it was Fiona. Fiona, Fiona yeah, so it would have been tro- tropical storm Fiona, you know, yeah. if if it doesn't have a name. It, it's not elevated to the same level of seriousness. And it just makes me think of, you know, the debate about the National Weather Service deciding to name blizzards, right, just willy-nilly. Um, you know, what is it about giving these things names that gives gives them credence? And, and are we not taking it as seriously either as people in an area that maybe could or should evacuate? Or, I mean, maybe maybe there was no way to know, you know, for to get out, Um but, you know, just watching some of the coverage of people like driving semi-trucks into rivers, it just makes me wonder, like, how well can you pre- even prepare for something like this as opposed to, say, mm-hmm. a hurricane? Yeah. For the record, it was the Weather Channel that started naming the blizzards. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, you're right. Yeah. yeah but, th- but they did that specifically to drive coverage. So, you know, there is some reasoning to think that a name gets your attention. You know, it's a hashtag on Twitter. Um, and... It, it spreads the message around a little bit more that something special is happening. Okay, so it, it, it's clear that that what is happening um, this week in Louisiana is something that is out of the ordinary. Um, and the challenge to me seems to be 
how do we convey that message accurately and efficiently and with enough um, notice, you know, to let people prepare for something that may change their lives forever? Um, I don't know. Jacqueline, what's your answer? (laughs) So uh, two things. For me, I wonder if yet again, you know, it won't be the science or or, you know, the journalism that makes traction on this problem, if it'll, if it'll be something really practical, like, oh, sorry, not, not that science and journalism are impractical, but that if, if it'll be something like insurance, the insurance industry, right, that, you know, getting ahead of this or on top of this, because at the end of the day, if, you know, it affects people's bottom line, um, you know, where they can live or what they can afford, it's, it's, that's what makes it personal. Um, and then the other thing is just to, to remember that, you know, events like this, as they become more common, um, are going to disproportionately affect the people who, you know, aren't necessarily as resilient first, right? The people who don't have multiple homes or who don't have insurance or who don't have a, a, a nest egg or who can't leave or can't get out, um, and who aren't necessarily mobile. And, um, my, my concern is, is that, um, you know, those, those people, you know, are going to get left behind, and I, I hope they're okay. And I can't find any way to build on that other than to say engage. Uh, if you live in Louisiana going forward, uh, clearly a new sense of vulnerability should be in your head wherever you are there. Uh, that swampland can be created instantaneously by a 30 inches of rain in three days. And that may still be a very rare event, but... Um, even with whatever's coming. Uh, and then, of course, there's the rising sea level issue on the shoreline. But getting more in tune to those things, uh, if you have a choice on where to live, certainly is something to ponder. Uh, and also don't drive in deep water, period, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, underline, underline. Um, so, yeah, yeah, also, if you're not in Louisiana, which I, I'm assuming most of you aren't, um, feel free to, you know, Google Red Cross or your favorite um, organization that's working down there and, and contribute because there's, uh, you know, like we were saying, a lot of people that don't have a nest egg and a lot of people were un- totally uninsured for this um, for this event. And, and it will be um, it will it will be catastrophic for a lot of people. Yeah, actually, that for me is probably one of the biggest red flags is I haven't seen the usual you know, exhortations for collecting funds or, or clothing or anything. I haven't seen anything like that on, you know, the usual social media channels. So um, that, that worries me that, that that's not happening. Well, uh, sh- you know, you, could share, you can share this podcast. <laughs> you, can, um, you, you, can, you can just tweet, it, tweet about the flood um, if you're concerned about it. Um, just sort of spread the word that, that this is something that's happening and that people need help. So I think that wraps up this conversation. For Jacqueline and Andy and our producer Stephen Lacey, I am Eric Holthouse and this is Warm Regards. Mm-hmm.